So if we're going to go meta for a moment, the preacher's job during Holy Week is actually kind of a tricky one because every year, again and again, we read these stories. Right, And each year, you have to find something to say about them. And everybody's read them like a gajillion times, so nothing's novel to anybody anymore. And uh, anyway, so each year, you have to read the stories and try and tease out you know, something new from them. And so you, like, you overlay where we are in our cultural, political, social moment onto the story and see what interesting features emerge, or, or you read through and see what kind of aspects jump out to you anew. And as I've been doing that this year, I've been left with a big question that keeps coming up over and over as I reflect on this story from Palm Sunday. Why are we so joyful about Palm Sunday? I mean, on one level, I get it. I'm not stupid, right? It's, you know, it's, we're entering into the story vicariously. We're reenacting the way that the crowds are joyful, et cetera, et cetera, you know? And they were, and this is relevant, they were waiting the liberation of Jesus. And, uh, I mean, they had the wrong idea about what it would look like. But I can see still using this as a time to celebrate the liberative reign of Christ and, and present in the scene and kind of this scene versus the plot. Great. Wonderful. But, I don't know. For me, this year at least, when I've read this story, I, it, it's been anything but joyful for me. It's been really, actually quite disturbing. Because what do we got? So we got Jesus arriving in Jerusalem. He stops outside of the cities, sends his disciples in to steal somebody's donkey, and then rides into town on it, uh, to great acclaim from crowds. It's this form of guerrilla theater. It's, it's a, a parody of how the emperor rode into the city on, on uh, into the city after a war on a victory parade, and everybody standing and cheering him and having the booty and the, uh, the prisoners of war come behind him and all this stuff, um, so that everybody can see how thoroughly they defeated the enemy and all this good stuff. And in a parody of that, Jesus comes not on a war horse, but on a donkey. And so remember how we've been talking about the empire of God, right? Jesus describing this new reality where God's rule, God's empire is directly challenging Caesar's. And here we see this empire of God stuff come explicitly to head. Uh, We directly have God's empire versus Caesar's empire in this action of the triumphal entry, making fun of it because it cannot bring the peace that it claims, the Pax Romana that Caesar promises. But in contrast, God's empire is the real deal. So we have this guerrilla theater going on, a a drama of the subjugated. And we have people lining the streets and, of course, putting down palm fronds and coats and stuff as a kind of making a red carpet, and which is, of course, why it's called Palm Sunday, right? And then they all cheer him on expectantly, and they're participating with him in the performance. And they're all excited about the potential and the prospect potential of him ushering in the kingdom of God. Now, why, you ask, what is so despairing about that? Why does Colin have such strong negative feelings towards what seems to me a perfectly lovely story? Because look at the entire plot of the gospel and where this episode is in relation to it. You have 
everybody enthusiastically welcoming Jesus as the inaugurator of the kingdom of God. And then, right afterwards, on a dime, everybody turns on him. Just like that, we have the passion. Jesus' execution through crucifixion. All in the blink of an eye, wildly swinging the other way. Brief aside about this passion. Uh, And the folks who were in the anti-Semitism class with me and Paul, Rabbi Paul, uh, might know this one. Who killed Jesus? In spite of what Christian theology has said throughout the years, it is not the Jews. It is the Romans. And there's actually a very straightforward way to figure this out. So blasphemy, the presumptive charge that Jesus was brought against Jesus, is a Jewish political crime. Excuse me, Jewish religious crime. Thus, capital punishment for blasphemy would be stoning to death. Crucifixion is a Roman form of capital punishment reserved for political insurrectionists. It's a way of killing somebody for their political crimes that is a danger to the socio-political order. And that's the charge given toward Jesus. He was killed for being a threat to Caesar. Empire of God, yes? right. Not for blasphemy. And here, take the thieves. So, for example, take the thieves that were crucified along with him. Uh, We do a disservice to ourselves with our translation of this because we're not talking about pickpockets or, you know, petty criminals. Um, So, see, a phenomenon that happens around the world, including in first century Palestine, where we're talking about here, is what's called social banditry. And so what... This phenomenon of social banditry arises when there's a group, a subjugated group, who has no political or social recourse. And so members of that group decide to take matters into their own hands. So, so the easiest example of this to grasp is Robin Hood. Right? Robin Hood is not a petty thief. Right? It's something more than that. He's a, he's a hero of the masses. He's you know, a resistance fighter against the corrupt Prince John and the, and the state apparatus that was exploiting the commoners for the benefit of the elites and all this stuff. Right? It's like that for other social bandits too. To get redress for their grievances, they rob the aristocracy and the elites and the state. And sometimes, at least, redistributing that to the poor. And so in our story, we've got two social bandits crucified along with Jesus, all three being executed by the state for political crimes, threats against the imperial order. And let us not say, well, the Jews pressured the Romans into killing him. So they're really who's responsible. Pilate was not somebody who was pushed around. All right. Rome withdrew him from his post because he was too violent. He was too violent for Rome. These are the people who put gladiators in an arena and watched them kill each other for fun. And he was too violent for them. All right. Pilate was not a guy that was pushed around. Um, if Jewish, angry Jewish leaders came and tried to pressure him into killing somebody, Jesus, he would have probably just killed them all wholesale like he did on other occasions of just massacring the mob. All right, so the Jews didn't kill Jesus. 
The Romans did. And why am I going on and on about this is because, as the anti-Semitism class folks know, it is this charge that the Jews killed Jesus. And so now the Jews are cursed, and so now we can do whatever nasty thing we want to them. This charge stems, from this charge, stems directly a lot of the anti-Semitism that's come in the world, and still does, especially in fringe groups. And so it's just straight up historically inaccurate, as well as messed up. All right. Not so brief aside, over. Uh, So anyway, we have Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, this parody of the imperial parade, and then immediately after it's done, this same crowd, the same crowd that was cheering Jesus on, turns on a dime to tear him apart to become a mob seeking his death. And then he's killed, and as we've seen every other Easter Sunday of his life, he's resurrected, yay. All right, and here's why I find the Palm Sunday story so disturbing. In light of this broader plot, because of that crowd, how fast they flip. Presumably at the beginning, they were actually genuinely excited for the prospects about Jesus, right? It's, they really did hope for the restoration of Israel, for the casting off of the Roman imperial rule. It's, it, but within a matter of days, if not within the matter of a day, they wanted to see him dead, publicly executed. And this is why I find this story so disturbing. Because it holds up a mirror to me and the darkest parts of my being. right? Because isn't that an aspect of our human condition? That we're at the highest of heights, at the pinnacle of our achievement, or doing the things the best that we can, finally getting things right, morally, religiously, whatever. You know, we're like that crowd, enthusiastically welcoming Jesus. And yet... It's so ephemeral, it's so fragile, it's so fleeting. There's no way to hold on to it. The author of Ecclesiastes talks about it as vapor. You can't grab onto it and hold it tight. It just slips through your fingers. It's vapor. And as much as I try to live up to, say, my moral values, even when I'm briefly successful... Is it not the crux of the human condition that it is fleeting? That I can go from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows in the blink of an eye. And that is what I find disturbing about this story. It holds up a mirror to me and the things I don't like to look at in myself and forces me to wrestle with the ways in which I am that crowd the ways in which I fail to be the best version of myself, the ways in which I do not live into the life that God has given me, the ways in which I further the violence of the world. And this story forces me to come to terms with that, to look at square in the face and try and figure out how to respond. As we go through this Holy Week, 
experiencing the ups and the downs of the passions played out every year, superimposed over our lives, and, and it reading us and us reading it. As we go through the ups and downs of the passion this week, of Holy Week, may you see the challenge God is presenting us to live into our best selves, into the people God has created us to be. May it be so.